All right, Galatians chapter 2. Galatians chapter 2, verse 1. Then, 14 years after, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas and took Titus with me also. 14 years after. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Your Word is so powerful and so instructive and so detailed, and we're so thankful for it. Lord, we're going to look at details today that have great significance to our lives. Father, I pray that you'll speak to us through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. This morning, we're going to be looking at times, people, and places in chapter 1. Times, people, and places. And what happened was I had prepared to go into chapter 2 and look at verse 2. And when I went up by revelation and communicated unto them that gospel which I preach among the Gentiles, but privately to them which were of reputation, lest by any means I should run or had run in vain. But neither Titus, who was with me being a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. And that because of false brethren unawares brought in, who came in privately to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, that they might bring us into bondage, to whom we gave place by subjection, no, not for an hour." that the truth of the gospel might continue with you. Now, the, I, had, I have this whole thing ready on no, not for an hour. And God wouldn't let me preach it yet uh, because there's some stuff that we still needed to cover in chapter 1. So I was ready to go on about 11.30 last night. I said, I can't do that. So I stayed here until about 2.30, 3 o'clock this morning getting this ready because I think there are some details that we have glossed over in chapter 1 that seem like minutiae. When we read the book, we read through it quickly, and it seems like minutiae. But you're going to see some things that will apply to where you are. Every person in the room is going to be, is going to be impacted, going to be touched, going to be spoken to by the details that we're about to look at. So let's, let's do this first. Don't tune out when God enters into what we might deem minutia. Now, um, Patrick Kennedy here. Patrick is a historian. He's a scholar, okay? He's just excited that he's going to be getting some old letters from an old Baptist and, and be able to go through all of these things. It, when I go into the library, what's the name of your place down there? the local history library there in Troy. When I go in, this is what Patrick is usually doing. He's sitting like this, looking at microfilm. <laughs> Just with the, a grin on his face like he's in heaven. Now, now you, could, you could poke me in, an, in, in the eye with a sharp stick rather than look at all these little details for hours and hours and hours. I'm glad God gives us people like Patrick who are willing to do that. Most of us, when we look at these details... We just kind of go past them. They're, they're filler to us. But remember our laws of Bible study. There's the law of measured words, the principle of measured words. Remember what the Bible says at the end of the book of John. If all the things, if all of everything that Jesus did were recorded, then I suppose that the books of the world could not contain them. Right? So God chose a limited amount of space in the Bible to give us His truth. That means there are no extraneous words. There are no superfluous words. There are no um, uh, throwaway words or phrases. Every word is inspired. Every word is true. As a matter of fact, the Bible says every word of God is pure. So we're going to look at some of those simple things this morning. And we're going to find some, some interesting truths. But let's make sure that we don't nod off at the minutiae. Okay, so let's, first of all, let's look at the times. The times that we find in the Bible. And we understand that when we study the Bible, time words are very important. In chapter 2, verse 1, Then 14 years after, I went up again to Jerusalem. Okay, so what would the first question be that you would ask? After what? After what? So let's spend a little bit of time figuring this out. There's great significance in Paul's use of time words. Look at some of the time words he uses. Look at verse 14. 
uh, I'm sorry, verse 16. So remember verse 15, because the verse won't make sense. But when it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by his grace. Now, remember what we said last week. He's not called by his grace to salvation. You got to keep reading. You, you have a comma there at the end of verse 15. To reveal his son in me that I might preach him among the heathen. So he was called by God's grace, separated from his mother's womb, to preach the gospel to the heathen. Um, I, I learned something this week about that word heathen. This is, this is fun. I, I like etymology, you know, where words come from and all of that. In the English language, that word heathen, when we think of heathen, we think of, you know, Indians or something, you know. That's what we think of with, with heathen. I'm sorry. Native Americans. Um, but do you know what the heathen, do you know what, what that is? That, that's people who dwell on the heath. That's, in Old English, that, that's the wilderness. That's people that are out beyond, you know, Kentucky, West Virginia, you know what I mean? That's... that's <laughs> I love doing that to you ladies. All right, now, what happens is what, what Paul is saying was he wasn't just going to go to the cities. He was going to go everywhere and preach the gospel. Now, in, in the Jewish culture, the heathen were anyone who wasn't Jewish. They would be Gentiles. And, of course, we understand that that's what Paul was doing also. He was the apostle to the Gentiles. And God had given him a specific calling for that. And we'll deal with that some more later. But look at what it says. Look at the time word here. The middle of the verse, to reveal his son in me that I might preach him among the heathen. Immediately, I conferred not with flesh and blood. Now, when we studied through the book of Mark, remember we spent two years going through the book of Mark years ago, and there were a lot of time words, and it was, it was point action, fast, immediately, words like that. Do you know that this is the way that we're supposed to obey God? Immediately. I, I loved what our brother said, that, he got saved in 2005, surrendered to preach two years later, surrendered to the mission field in October, and he's on the road. Time to go immediately. When God tells you to do something, that's not the time to sit around, fish or cut bait. Is that right? It's time to go immediately. But look at what Paul did immediately. Immediately he conferred not with flesh and blood. Why is that important? We're going to see that that not conferring with flesh and blood is very important. Paul is building a case for what he is saying. Uh, if, you, if you drop down to me in verse 20, chapter 1, verse 20, Now the things which I write unto you, behold, therefore, or behold, before God, I lie not. What didn't he lie about? Well, the only thing in the context that would make sense for not lying about is that he didn't confer with flesh and blood. He didn't get his gospel from man. He got it by revelation from God. And so what he's doing, this timeline that he gives, is very significant to support the fact that his gospel didn't come from God and his apostleship didn't come from God. Look at chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, an apostle, not of men, neither by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. We think of parenthetical statements as throwaway statements. No, what Paul does is he spends the last half of the book defending that his apostleship was not from God. Verse 11, But I certify you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached of me is not after man, for I neither received it of man, neither was I taught it, but by the revelation of Jesus Christ. He got it from God. So, immediately. Then look at verse 18. Then, we have some more time here. After three years, I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter and abode with him 15 days. He's giving a, a, a strict chronology of what happened. So now you have after three years and you have after 14 years. So is this 17 years then? Some people, when you start using numbers like this, you watch people, their eyes just roll back in their head. I don't know. I don't. Look, here's what's going on. Paul is dating everything from his conversion. Everything in Paul's life was B.C. 
or A.D. That's it. Everything was before Christ or after I saw the resurrected Christ. Everything in his life was dated by his conversion. Do you know that you have a new life? You have a spiritual birthday. That's what I like to know when you got saved. Does anybody here know what their birthday is? Jacob knows what his birthday is. He starts telling me his birthday is, is September 30th. But what he does is September 31st, he starts telling me what he wants for his next birthday. He knows what his birthday is. Man, we need to know when we got saved. That is so much more important than when we were born. Amen? Born once, die twice. Born twice, die once. You must be born again. So Paul was dating everything from then. Then look at verse 21. Afterwards, I came into the regions of Syria and Cilicia. So he's giving time words. These demonstrate that the book is a chronological account of true events. They are true and the timing is important. Now, these dated events, we understand that they go back to his conversion. And this, after three years, if you look with me in verse uh, 18 again, then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter and abode with him 15 days. This after three years is important for at least two reasons. First of all, it demonstrates that he did not receive his apostleship from men. See, what, what we would do, and we talked about this a little bit last week, is if we were called by God to minister at this time, we probably would have gone to Jerusalem to be instructed by the apostles. Paul did not do that. He makes that very clear in this context. So this after three years is very important. He didn't go to Jerusalem to be with the apostles until after his, uh, he had been trained. Now, let me, let me make something very clear. When Paul got saved, the first thing he did was he went to Damascus. And we're going to see that in a minute. He went to Damascus. He met Ananias. Ananias touched him and the scales fell off his eyes and he could see and he was baptized. He started preaching immediately in Damascus, but they wanted to kill him. So he ran to, he left and he went to, remember they put him down over the wall, got him out. So then he went to Jerusalem. And at Jerusalem, they really didn't like him. He started preaching, and they tried to kill him. So from Jerusalem, he left, and he went into Cilicia and Syria. And we'll, we'll look at that in a minute. But this idea of the three years, it demonstrates that he did not receive his apostleship from men. But it also demonstrates something else. Again, we're at verse 18. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem. After three years. It demonstrates also the necessity of preparation. The necessity of preparation. Um, you know, being a, a preacher of the gospel, being a witness for Jesus Christ, we can do what Paul did. Immediately after our salvation, we can begin testifying about what Jesus Christ did for us. Amen? And we are supposed to do that even at the risk of our lives. We can do that, but we can't teach the Bible that way. The Bible says if a man would be a pastor, if a man desires the office of a bishop, he desireth a good thing, but let him first be proved. That's what the Bible says. Not a novice. You must be grounded in the Word of God. Now notice that the text in 1 Timothy says not a novice. It doesn't say one who has mastered the Word of God. Aren't you glad? Has anyone ever mastered the Word of God? No, there's no such thing as a Bible scholar. Scholar is one who's mastered their subject. There's no possible way to master the Word of God. I love the way the Bible says, not a novice. But the simple fact is, this is a man who must be apt to teach. So a pastor must be trained. Whether that's Bible college, whether that's sitting under a godly pastor and being trained, it doesn't matter which. But the simple fact is, you, the preparation is vital. There's another thing that's really interesting about this. The Apostle Paul received his gospel according to verse 12. For I neither received it of man, neither was I taught it, but by the revelation of Jesus Christ. So Paul was with Jesus for three years. How long were the other apostles with Jesus? That's kind of cool. You got to admit, that is pretty neat that how consistent the Bible is on these things. It also gives us an understanding of the amount of time it takes to be able to teach the Word of God. 
Now, I'm thankful that at 48 years old that I've had the opportunity to study God's Word for a lot of years. I'm thankful for that. But you don't have to study the Bible for 20 years before you can start teaching it. Amen? How long does it usually take to get through discipleship here at Grace Baptist Church? Two or three years. Two or three years. If Dan knew your disciple, or maybe six. <laughs> Two or three years. And you know what? I'm worse than anybody. It takes me forever to get through discipleship with someone because there's so much in the Bible to talk about. It's a wonderful thing. But let's make sure that we understand the importance of preparation for preaching and teaching the Word of God. Now, let's look at a mistake that we make. Here's a mistake. We think that this is only for pastors. Every believer ought to spend years learning to teach the Word of God to someone else. That's what we're supposed to do. After three years, this gives us the, the significance. It demonstrates the importance of preparation. Now, listen to what Lawrence Vance wrote. The curse of the ministry is pastors who are too busy or too lazy to put forth the spiritual and intellectual preparation necessary for the effective preaching and teaching of sound doctrine. Let me read that again. The curse of the ministry is pastors who are too busy or too lazy to put forth the spiritual and intellectual preparation necessary for the effective preaching and teaching of sound doctrine. You know, the Bible says this, let the elders, that's, there are three words for pastor in the Bible, pastor, elder, and bishop. Pastor is the idea of the shepherd. The elder is the idea of the one who knows God and is a, is a spiritual father, leader among the, the, the believers. And then the bishop is the idea of overseer, responsible for every ministry and everything that goes on in the church. And we'll give an account. But the Bible says about the elders, the Bible says, let the elders that rule well be counted worthy of double honor. Now, that doesn't mean that you're nice to them. Now, I hope that you're nice to me. But the Bible says that, that a pastor is worthy of double honor. That means that whatever you think that you ought to give them, you're supposed to give them twice that. That is what the Bible is. You ever heard of the term honorarium? That's what it's talking about. So I want to raise today. That's what. No, but the, the Bible says that they're worthy of that. Amen? A person who it, let the elders that rule well be counted worthy of double honor. Now, every pastor loves that verse. Remember Brother Kaiser? How many of you were here for my ordination? Would you raise your hand? How many of you are here for that? Now, everybody, would you hold those hands up for a minute and look around everybody? Look at, the, look at our congregation, how it's changed after 14 years. Um, what a blessing. Praise God. Now, what Brother Kaiser preached at my ordination was, let the elders that rule well be counted worthy of double honor. <laughs> I didn't know he was going to do that, but he did. You know what the problem is, though? Most pastors love the first half of that verse. But the second half says this. Especially they that labor in the word and in doctrine. Now, we have laborers here in this church. We have laborers. I already mentioned Patrick. Laboring through those microfilms, finding, researching all these things for people who come into the library. You know, Doug works. He's a, he's a what's your title? Group leader on a line at Honda with engine blocks. And he gets in there hoisting engine blocks around. And if, if they're not working fast enough, he has to jump in there and do that. That's labor. That's labor. Denver used to be a laborer. <laughs> How much weight have you gained since you got into the... No, I'm kidding. That's a... Man, you've been thankful this week you're not outside anymore, aren't you? But it was labor, putting in windows all day and doing that. Dan knew welds all day. You know, hood, welding all day. That's labor. Many of you, we have other men in this church that labor. Um, Frank Enyart back there is a supervisor. He's supposed to be in management, but you still wrench, don't you? Yeah, Gordon Allstetter, he's a maintenance supervisor. And he says, I'm, I'm still wrenching. That's labor, right? Y'all get what I'm talking about? Labor. I wonder how many pastors or teachers, if you compared their work in the Word of God to Dan New at the welding shop or Frank at the metal, uh, whatever it is that he does. And I wonder how many people would, how many pastors and teachers, that's their work that they're laboring in the Word of God. How about you who are discipling or teaching someone else? Are you laboring 
in the Word of God. Study to show thyself approved unto God. What's the next word? A workman. Workman? Does that sound like laborer? That needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. So preparation. After three years, there was time involved here. All right, now let's go on. Um, His point is simple. Let's go back to our verse, verse 18. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter and abode with him 15 days. Now, we're going to look at Peter here in a minute, but the significance here is this. Three years with Jesus, 15 days with Peter. Who was the authority in Paul's life? Jesus. That's the point that he's making. There's a significance. See, you can spend all kinds of time in the books. You can spend all kinds of time under the teaching of a man. And that's profitable but you had better spend a whole lot more time with Jesus. All right? Now, so we've looked at at time, time. Now let's look at at people. Let's look at people. Um, This, in verse 18, the Bible mentions Peter. This is the first mention in the book of Galatians of anyone other than Paul. Besides Peter... Paul also refers to James, Barnabas, Titus, John, Abraham, Agar, and Isaac. So what's the significance of the people in this text? Your Bible is not a collection of philosophical sayings. It's not religious principles. The Bible is full of people. People who ate and drank and slept and worked and had families and cried and lived and died. The Bible is full of real people. And we can find people just like us in the pages of Scripture. And Peter is one of the most significant people in the Bible. Outside of Jesus himself, the most significant people in the New Testament are Peter and the Apostle Paul. They're mentioned more than anyone else in the New Testament. Very significant people. Now, Paul mentions Peter ten times in his writing. Six times in Galatians. Only Titus and Timothy were mentioned more than Peter in the writings of the Apostle Paul. So now let's answer a question. Why did Paul go to see Peter? Well, because Peter was the Pope and he had to get his blessing before he could... How many of you think that's why Paul went to see Peter? But that is what some teach. It's very important that we understand this. The Apostle Paul, I'm sorry, Paul was an apostle before he went to see Peter. He was an apostle, not of man, not of men, nor of man, but of God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So when the Apostle Paul went to see Peter, it was as an equal, not as someone looking for blessing. It's very important, very important. And this is, this is so significant in churches. We, we've got to get this. When this brother... Can, here, step up here with me for a minute. Other than the fact that he's not nearly as good looking as me, we actually look like we could be brothers. He's just a thinner brother. When he walked in and he poked his head in, immediately, I stopped what I was doing. Aaron Edwards thought he wasn't important anymore. And went and said hello to this brother. This is a brother that's going to the mission field to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen? Now, I'm going to tell you something that you might not know. And and Hugh will experience it, and I'm sorry that he will. You may have already. There are pastors and churches that believe that missionaries are below pastors. That's out of the pit of hell, and it smells like smoke. See, we're brothers in Christ. We are equals in the work of the Lord. Amen? We are equals in the work of the Lord. Now, Josh, come up here for a minute. I'm so glad the blood can make it to my brain. Now, here's the deal. Our brother here is a missionary. I'm a pastor. He's a government worker. (laughs) 
<laughs> Isn't that an oxymoron? I'm not sure. But here's the deal. We can't miss this. We're equals. We're brothers in Christ. I have no more access to God or access to truth than either of these men. Especially government worker doesn't have more than us. <laughs> this is very important. There are no haves and have-nots in the body of Christ. There are no exalted people and, and lowly people in the body of Christ. We're not like Pharisees who say, I thank God that I'm not as this lowly government worker. Have you had enough of that? We're fine. Okay, good. And I'm glad because this could be a problem. Okay, so it's vital that we get this. When Paul went to see Peter, it was as equals, not as someone going to receive another's approval. We're called by the Lord Jesus Christ. We're sent out by the Holy Spirit of God. We're approved by the churches. Right? To serve God. Equals. Thank you, guys. Now, of course, I'm much more talented than either of them. But Now, people, Peter, he's so important in the Word of God. Why did he go to see him? Well, we don't know, but we know he was an equal. And we know he did not go to be commissioned as an apostle under Peter's authority. And his point was simple. Three days with, or three years with Christ, 15 days with Peter. Now, let's look at James. Look at the next person that's mentioned. Look at verse 19. But other of the apostles saw I none, save James, the Lord's brother. Now, isn't that an interesting phrase? We learn, I'll tell you what, there are three primary explanations that people give for this description. That James... How does it say it? James, the Lord's brother. The first explanation is probably the most ludicrous, the most ridiculous, and the most unaccepted. And that is that he was the Lord's brother. How many believe that James was Jesus' brother? It's very simple. You know how I know that? Because that's what the words say. Isn't that interesting? It's, it's very simple. Of course... He was the Lord's brother. Now, we're all brothers and sisters in Christ. See, people say that. No, this is a specific designation. And we are brothers and sisters in Christ if we're saved. Unsaved man's not my brother. He has a different father. Who's the unsaved man's father? There are only two families in the world. Jesus Christ identified it. You have your father, the devil, or you have the father, God. How are you born into the devil's family? Through physical birth. Everyone that's born is lost. They are born lost. In sin did my mother conceive me, David said. Right? When we become saved, we become a child of God. God becomes our father. And then every other saved person is our brother and sister in Christ. This person was the Lord's. James was the Lord's physical brother. The second explanation that people give is that James was a half-brother from an earlier marriage of Joseph. The only problem is that would make James the firstborn. And according to 2 Chronicles 21.3, it would be James that would sit on the throne of David, not Jesus Christ. Easy to throw away, that explanation. Here's the next explanation that I'm sure some of you have heard. That this is another word for cousin. And that James was one of Jesus' cousins because Mary was a perpetual virgin. Now, let's, let's get seven reasons quickly why... James was not the cousin of Jesus Christ. All right, first, let's do this fast. Number one, number one, when God wants to use the word cousin, he uses the word cousin, Luke 1, 36. And behold, thy cousin Elizabeth, she hath also conceived a son in her old age, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. All right, so when God wants to use the word cousin, he uses the word, you know, that word was available to God. All right. So he uses the word cousin. Number two, number two, look at Matthew chapter one and verse 25. Matthew 1, 25. 
The Virgin Mary had marriage relations with Joseph after the birth of Jesus. Now look at what it says. And knew not, and, and knew her not, talking about Joseph, and knew her not till, is that a time word? She ascended to heaven. Until she was assumpted, <laughs> assumed into heaven. And knew her not till she had brought forth her, what is that word? Firstborn. 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 Now, after first is usually what? Yeah. Until her first, uh, called her, uh, uh, brought forth her firstborn son and called his name Jesus. So Mary had marriage relations with Joseph. To not do so would have been to defraud her husband, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Then, number three. Number three. Jesus is called her firstborn son. That means she had more. All right. Then, number four, Mary had other children. Psalm 69, 8. Psalm 69, 8. This is a messianic psalm, which means it's talking about the Messiah. And who is the Messiah? Jesus Christ. I am become a stranger unto my what? And an alien unto my what? Mother's children. Mary had other children, or there's another Messiah. Amen? All right, then, number five. His brothers are named. Go to Mark chapter 6 with me. I just, honestly, I just felt like it would be irresponsible pastoring in Sydney, Ohio, in Shelby County, not to explain this text. We need to know these things. Mark chapter 6. Verse 1, and he went out from thence, this is talking about Christ, and came into his own country, and his disciples follow him. And just so you know, this is probably the best biblical definition of discipleship. A disciple is one who follows Christ. And when the Sabbath day was come, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many hearing him were astonished, saying, From whence hath this man these things? And what wisdom is this which is given unto him, that even such mighty works are wrought by his hands? Is this not, or is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary? Look it the brother of James and Joseph and of Judah and Simon, and are not his sisters here with us. And they were offended at him. All right, so what do we see here? Not only did Jesus have brothers, we have their names. They're named for us. You understand what a distortion of Scripture it is to say that Mary didn't have any other children? It's, now, I just have to be very plain with this. It's simply not true to make that statement. It's not true. And what that does is it causes people to pray to someone who can never forgive sin. Mary is not a redemptrix. She is not a co-redemptrix. Uh, the, the teaching has been made that we pray to Mary because Jesus can't resist his mother. Jesus Christ said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. That's it. There's none other name among men whereby you must be saved. All right. So he had brothers. And then we see also in that same verse that and his sisters and are not his sisters, verse three, here with us. His, he had at least two sisters. So we have brothers and at least two sisters. And then look at verse four. But Jesus said unto them, a prophet is not without honor, but in his own country and among his own kin and in his own house. So this is, in this culture, you did not have the entire extended family living in one house. You had brothers and sisters living in one house in Nazareth, and that is the house that belonged to Joseph. His wife was Mary, and his brothers and sisters, his brothers are named, and his sisters are there in his house. Jesus Christ was not the cousin of James. Now, what else do we learn? about this, something that's very important about James. Like his other brothers and sister, like Christ's other brothers and sisters, James was not a believer during the earthly ministry of Jesus Christ. Okay, look with me at John chapter 7 and verse 5. 
Now, this is where it's going to become very personal to a lot of you. John chapter 7, verse 5. The Bible says this, For neither did his brethren believe in him. And what happened? Let's, let's just read, start reading verse 1 to get the context. After these things, Jesus walked in Galilee, for he would not walk in Jewry, because the Jews sought to kill him. Now the, feast of, now the Jews' feast of tabernacles was at hand. His brethren therefore said unto him, Depart hence, and go into Judea, that thy disciples also may see the works that thou doest. For there is no man that doeth a thing in secret, and he himself seeketh to be known openly. If thou do these things, show thyself to the world. For neither did his brethren believe in him. Then Jesus said unto them, My time is not yet come. But your time is already here. Now look, his brothers. Remember what happened when his brothers, his family, thy, thy mother and thy brethren have come to see you. And the Bible says they came to lay hold on him, for he is beside himself. They thought he was nuts. His family, Jesus Christ's family, thought he was crazy. They were going to physically take him home. But they couldn't get to him because the crowd was so great. And Jesus said, who are my, who are my mother and brethren? But they that keep my commandments that keep my words. You see, Jesus Christ had a new family. He had a new family. So we see that, like his other brothers and sisters, James was not a believer during his earthly ministry. That gives us two thoughts, two thoughts on this. It doesn't matter what family you're from. You still need to believe in Jesus Christ. Amen? Mary and Joseph were his parents... His brother was Jesus Christ, and he still had to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ to be saved. Young people, doesn't matter who your mom and dad are. Now, praise God for godly moms and dads. Amen? But they cannot take you to heaven. Only Jesus Christ can take you to heaven. What if your parents are as worldly as can be? It doesn't matter who your parents are. Only Jesus Christ can take you to heaven to heaven. Another thing that we learn, it doesn't matter who you are. The hardest people to reach are sometimes those closest to you. How many of you have experienced that? Sometimes the hardest thing is to reach those closest to you. Maureen, I couldn't help but think about you in Virginia this past week with your family reunion. And we're praying for you with that. When Andy had reminded me that you were there, I was praying that, that, that you had had the opportunity to do something for the gospel there. Many of you have brothers and sisters that think you're crazy. Doug? Uh, Doug Schmidtmeyer's brother is the Catholic priest down at uh, Holy Angels. You know, we have to understand that many times the people closest to us that we love and would give our lives for, they might think we're crazy. But do you know what we learn from those two things, those two lessons we just learned? James teaches us that even when it seems hopeless, our brothers and sisters are still reachable. You see, they thought Jesus was crazy. Why was it that John, Jesus Christ was on, his cro on the cross, and he looks down at John, his disciple, and says, Son, behold thy mother. Mother, behold thy son. All of his brothers are named because he wanted a saved person to be caring for his wife, for his, for his mother. Isn't it wonderful that his brother came to know the Lord Jesus Christ? What did it cost him? According to Acts chapter 12, he was beheaded. But I can promise you this. I can promise you this. James teaches us that even when it seems hopeless, our brothers and sisters are still reachable. Well, I actually have the places to get to. And we'll look at the places when we come together next time. You know what? The times in the Bible are so important. The times in the Bible. Let's finish up with this. Let's finish up with this. Look at, Galatia, look at Acts chapter 17. Some of you already know where I'm going. Acts chapter 17. You know what? I'm going to take about two minutes, and we just have to finish this. All right? The places. Look at, we're back at Galatians. 
Just jerk the rug right out from under you, just like that. No, we've got to finish this. This is really awesome. Look at verse 17. Let's look at the places. Neither went I up to Jerusalem. We're going to look at Jerusalem the next time we're together. To them which were apostles before me. But I returned into Arabia and returned again unto Damascus. Damascus. Not Jerusalem. Damascus. Why? Because he's an apostle, not of men. Now, what happened in Damascus? Let's go to Acts chapter 11. Acts chapter 11. Oh, Acts chapter 9. Verse 17. And Ananias went his way and entered into the house and putting his hands on him said, Brother Saul. The Lord, even Jesus, hath appeared unto thee in the way, as thou camest, hath sent me, that thou mightest receive thy sight, and be filled with the Holy Ghost. And immediately there fell from his eyes, as it had been scales, and he received sight forthwith, and arose, and was baptized. You know, these places are important. Damascus, at Damascus he found a new family, brother. Found a new family. He found out that they had the same Lord. His eyes were opened. He was filled with the Holy Ghost and he was baptized. How many of you think Damascus was significant in the life of the Apostle Paul? What was he going to do at Damascus? He was going to kill these people. Amazing. It's an important place. Then, look with me in verse... back, in, back keep, keep your place in Acts, but go back to Galatians and look at verse 21. Afterwards, I came into the regions of Syria and Cilicia. Syria and Cilicia. What's the significance of that? Well, Acts fills in the details. Look at verse 30 of Acts chapter 9. You know what? Let's start reading in verse 19. Let's just read through this text. And when he had received meat, he was strengthened. Then was Saul certain days with the disciples which were at Damascus. And straightway he preached Christ in the synagogues that he is in Christ that he is the Son of God. Now, now that straightway that's another like immediately he just began preaching that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. But all that heard him were amazed and said, "Is not this he that destroyed them which called on this name in Jerusalem, and came hither for that intent that he might bring them bound unto the chief priests?" But Saul increased the more in strength and confounded the Jews which dwelt at Damascus, proving that this is very Christ. And after many days were fulfilled, the Jews took counsel to kill him. But their laying await was known of Saul, and they watched the gates day and night to kill him. Then the disciples took him by night and led him down by the wall in a basket. And when Saul was come to Jerusalem, he essayed to join himself to the disciples, but they were all afraid of him. And believed not that he was a disciple, but Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared unto them how he had seen the Lord in the way and that he had spoken to him and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. And he was with them coming in and going out at Jerusalem. And he spoke and he spake boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus and disputed against the Grecians, but they went about to slay him. Which when the brethren knew, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him forth to Tarsus. Sent him forth to Tarsus. Okay? So let's find out, what did, what did Paul do? The Bible's giving us the information here. Tarsus, look at Acts 22.3. Acts 22.3. This is really interesting to me. These places become very important in the life of the Apostle Paul. I am verily a man, which am a Jew, born in Tarsus, a city in Cilicia. What did Paul do after he got saved? He went to Jerusalem for just a very... He went to Damascus, was there for a short period of time. Went to Jerusalem for a short period of time. They wanted to kill him in both places, so what did he do? He went home. He went home. Uh, 
when I saw that, that, was, that seemed so significant to me. He had left as a successful man. Remember, it says in this same verse that he had sat at the feet of Gamaliel, the greatest teacher. He had become somebody. And now he came home, a different man. Cilicia, Cilicia. And then look at what happens. Let's go to Acts chapter 11. Acts chapter 11. We're looking at Cilicia and Syria, Syria and Cilicia. Acts chapter 11, look at verse 19. Now they which were scattered abroad upon the persecution that arose about Stephen. Oh, wait a minute. Who led the persecution against Stephen? Saul. Traveled as far as Phoenice and Cyprus and Antioch, preaching the word to none but unto the Jews only. And some of them were men of Cyprus and Cyrene, and which when they were come to Antioch, spake unto the Grecians, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned unto the Lord. Then tidings of these things came unto the ears of the church which was in Jerusalem, and they sent forth Barnabas, that he should go as far as Antioch who when he came and had seen the grace of God was glad and exhorted them all that with purpose of heart they would cleave unto the Lord. For he was a good man and full of the Holy Ghost and of faith, and much people was added unto the Lord. Then departed Barnabas to Tarsus for to seek Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him unto Antioch. And it came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves with the church and taught much people there. And the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. See, this is a very important place. Do you know where Antioch is? It's in Syria. Antioch is in Syria. Antioch was a short distance from Tarsus. So Paul, Saul, spent those three years in Syria and Cilicia. Cilicia, Tarsus. Syria, Antioch. What happened at Antioch? Well, they were first called Christians there. How did the church at Antioch start? The apostle Paul when he was Saul, the persecutor, had scattered people abroad. So here he is being trained, serving God, communing with the Lord Jesus Christ in a place that his sin, what he had meant for evil, God had meant for good. It's an amazing thing. An amazing thing. Then let's look at the last place that we're going to look at this morning. Go back with me to Galatians. Galatians, verse 22, And was unknown by face unto the churches of Judea, which were in Christ. And was unknown by face unto the churches which were in Judea in Christ. Now, here's what we're learning from this. And I didn't know this until I began comparing unknown by face. Uh, we're not going to take the time to turn there, but Acts chapter 20, verse 25, Colossians 2, 1, and 1 Thessalonians 2, 17. Paul is saying they wouldn't see his face. That means he wasn't going to be there. In each of these other places, it's saying that Paul was not there. So what, Saul is, what Paul is saying here was that he did not go to the churches in Judea. He wasn't there. He stayed away from there. Why did he stay away from there? Look at Acts chapter 8 and verse 1. And Saul was consenting unto his death. And at that time, there was a great persecution against the church, which is at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of what? Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Now look at verse 4. Therefore, they that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word. You see, these people, these people are people that Saul had personally persecuted. Can you imagine having the man walk into the room that had killed your brother? He stayed away from there. He stayed away. What a sobering thing. The churches of Judea were not founded by Paul. They were founded because of Saul. And God's grace is so wonderful that he took him and used him greatly. So do we learn from this? Well, about the times, you must view the day of your salvation as the most significant day in your life. I hope you know when you got saved. What about the people? 
Ready for this? You're not a statistic. God knows your name and cares about you, and He has a plan for you. Wouldn't it be great down the road somebody writes a history of Grace Baptist Church, and that history of Grace Baptist Church says, Lane Farrier was a good man, full of the Holy Ghost. Amen? God can do that. Anthony Bermond straightened up and became a good man, full of the Holy Ghost. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that awesome? This is so important. Austin Folsom was a good man and full of the Holy Ghost. Jay Curlis. How, how wonderful. How wonderful. Kayla Curlis showed them a way more perfect. See, God wants to use these young people. You're not a statistic. You're a person. God knows your name. He cares about you and He has a plan for you. And then places. God knows where you are. He knows where you are right now. Back to Acts 17. Now I can finish. Verse 24. Remember Paul and Mars Hill? Times, people, and places. God that made the world and all things. We're in verse 24, Acts 17, 24. God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that He is Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands, neither is worshipped with men's hands as though He needed anything, seeing He giveth to all life and breath and all things, and hath made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell on all the face of the earth, and hath determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitation, the places, that they should seek the Lord, if haply they might feel after Him and find Him, though He be not far from every one of us. For in Him we live and move and have our being. Time, places, and people. God has ordained every bit of it so that you can know Him and serve Him and be used for His glory. Those are the details. That's the minutia that we find in Galatians chapter 1 that applies every one of us to every one of us. You know, God has you here for such a time as this. Amen? God knows your name. And He has a place. How many of you that Sydney, Ohio has been a significant place in your life? Amen? Grace Baptist Church. Amen. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Father, I pray that we will be your people. In this.